Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Okay, here's how Miro works. See? It's amazing! What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. Hey, everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hey everyone, this is John Roca, Michael Vogel, and Shannon McClung. And we are the Geek Buddies! A special uh, one-minute video to let you know that we are going live next Thursday, that is June 25th at 2 p.m. PT. We've had such great interaction with you all on social media. We now want to give you an opportunity to ask us questions live as we talk about topics, right, Mike? Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Uh, you guys have been amazing uh, on the comments below, on Johnny's Outlaw page, on Twitter. Uh, you guys have been so great, so much fun to interact with that we wanted to have an entire show dedicated to you guys, to the questions you have, to the things you wanna know about us. And uh, we're super, super stoked about getting to know you guys a little bit more, right, Shannon? That is correct, Michael. Yes, you guys have sent us questions on Twitter and on Instagram before. Bring those questions. We cannot wait to chat with you all and to have a fun, geeky discussion. There you go. You're going to be able to chime in through the YouTube chat or some of you coming in live to ask us questions. I will be posting the link throughout the show where you can come in live and ask us a question about whatever we're talking about or whatever's on your geeky little mind. That's for sure. We're going to have fun. All right. Well, that's Thursday, June 25th at 2 p.m. PT. That's 5 p.m. ET. We will be going live with an episode of The Geek Buddies.
Hey, welcome everybody to another live episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! hey! <laughs> well, we're coming to you. Uh, you know, of course, this is pre-recorded, but we're recording it live here uh, from the Outlaw Nation studios and the uh, Outlaw Nation satellite studios in Michael Vogel's house and Shannon McClung's house. We're doing all of that here, but here in my house, we're repping the Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, I got my shirt. Suck it, suck it, suck it, suck it. Look at that. That's right. That's right. I could turn all the way around, but I can't right now because there's a back to the chair, so you won't be able to we, see it. We oh. at the Outlaw Satellite <laughs> Studio do not endorse the use of the Zack Snyder t-shirt, but Ooh. we respectfully allow you to do what you want at Outlaw <laughs> Headquarters. Shirt popping like crazy. Finally got the shirt. Took forever to show up, but it finally did. And uh, it's a tight fit. Snug fit. Let's just say the COVID-19 is no joke. I'm talking about COVID nineteen pounds. It's a snug fit for an extra large, so I'm ashamed of myself. I'll be hitting the uh, I'll be hitting the treadmill later. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm you're gonna, excited. You're gonna go, you're gonna go running. What's that you say? <laughs> oh, Central City Running Club. I love it. What are you uh, wearing, Mike? Yeah, what do you got, Mike? Oh, you know, you're rocking it, uh, rocking it Disney Princess style for Pride. Yeah. I like that you're wearing <laughs> I mean, your microphone. Not... Yeah. I wear mm -hmm. it every week, mm -hmm. Shannon. Mm, Shannon, it's, it's here. It's here. Where? Oh, nice. Oh, okay, oh, good. Right, does right. it really sound that different? You clearly, it does, actually. You're a you, lot clearer. You're, you've said nothing up until this point. As, as long as you've selected it, it sounds good. As long as you've selected <laughs> it on your computer, it sounds good. Uh, but anyway, uh, I am John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host here in uh, Los Angeles, California. I am Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Goldbergs, and Silicon Valley. Yeah, and you know, uh, for those of you who are new to the uh, show, thank you so much for taking a chance on us. We really appreciate it. Whether you're downloading and listening to us on the podcast channel or watching us on the YouTube channel here on the Atlaw Nation series, we very much appreciate that. Uh, uh, for those of you who are returning, thank you again for staying on the train with us as we keep building and building. The numbers are rising. People's responses are uh, becoming larger and larger. So we're getting more and more of those responses, which is great. And so keep sharing the show on all your social media and having conversations with us. We certainly enjoy that very, very much. Uh, the other thing uh, to let you know, if you're new to the show or the way we work the show is uh, each of us presents a geek news item. Then we take a little bit of a break for our podcast listeners and then we jump into our main topic. And today our main topic is talking about DC Fandom. Speaking of which, DC Ooh. Fandom. Sure popping again. Ooh. DC Fandom. A lot of stuff. going. There it is. There it is. Uh, so much going on at DC fandom that's a virtual Comic-Con in essence, and we're going to get into all of that and what we can expect. Uh, but first, let's get into our first geek news item. Shannon, take it away. Yeah, so if any of you have been watching, if you have Disney+, Plus and you've been watching the behind-the-scenes, the Disney gallery on The Mandalorian, um, one fantastic watch. I believe there's yeah. seven episodes in now. <laughs> I think there's one more left. Um, but one of the episodes that they, they specifically talked about the volume. So these are the giant digital screens that are running on the Unreal Engine that they use for a lot of their exterior shots. I mean, yeah. watching The Mandalorian, no matter what you thought of the storytelling, I personally really enjoyed it. Um, what you can't argue is, is some of those effects, especially when they're outside. It's like, God, where did they go to shoot this? They went to a soundstage and they are employing these crazy, crazy digital screens. Well, Ewan McGregor was actually on a show called Ace Universe Presents the other night, and he was talking about it and talking about how great it looked and how when he shot the prequels, it was difficult because you're on yeah. a lot of green screens, you're on a lot of blue screens. 
for even the most talented actors, it can be a challenge putting yourself in that environment when you're surrounded by these giant monochromatic uh, uh, screens. Well, yeah. he he let everyone know that they are going to be employing the use of the volume for what as well for his uh, Kenobi series that is going to be on Disney Plus. Now, again, yeah. they don't only just use those screens; they 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 make sets as well. And again, you see a lot of the behind the scenes on those sets. Um, but knowing that they're they're going to be you know on Tatooine, they're going to be employing this technology. It really has me personally excited for what we're going to see with Kenobi. What do you guys think? Yeah, like uh, Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, same same as you said, the uh, the behind the scenes look at Mandalorian on Disney Plus is awesome, and it's one of the things that Disney Plus is doing really well. It's like not that they just have the Mandalorian, which is definitely one of their marquee shows, but they're making the most of it by having these behind the scenes looks. And the thing that I think that is super interesting about the volume, uh, what you said is correct. It's definitely better for actors. Uh, they can actually sit on the set and see what they're supposed to be looking at. But one of the key things that uh, Favreau talks about that he learned from doing um, Jungle Book and some of the uh, Lion King and some of the other things that he did is one of the hardest things when it comes to green screens and digital effects is getting the lighting to work. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's one of the hard things that you do that if uh, going back in in post-production, and this is what you have to do when you have a green screen, if you don't handle the lighting, you have to go in and digitally handle lighting. And when you digitally handle lighting, it never works quite as well. And part of what makes the volume really unique, as opposed to being very actor friendly, is that the lighting is actually able to be sourced from the right direction. So if you're watching a Tatooine sunset, for example, the light, uh, the hue, the intensity, everything is coming from the right way. And so the actors are actually being lit the way they're supposed to be lit. And uh, they actually make the remarks with Mandalorian that they made the most of it by having your main character uh, uh, literally someone who is a reflective surface, like his armor actually is reflective. And rather than having to digitally make it look as good as they could, they actually have something that made it look much more grounded and real. Uh, they even talk about the fact that when they were like announcing something to uh, Disney, uh, Disney executives or shareholders or something about promoting the Mandalorian, uh, uh, Favreau and Filoni were like basically sitting on the set in the volume in this tiny little area and somebody thought they were on a massive soundstage. It looks so real. Yeah. So I think that not only is it great that they're using it for Kenobi, but uh, if you read up on this or when you watch it, like this is maybe one of the bigger uh, advances in digital technology since the blue screen and green screen. I mean, the blue screen and green screen is something we've been using for everything. We all just understand naturally that that's how visual effects work. And this idea of the volume, um, you know, it's not a patented technology. Anybody could do it. You just need to know how to utilize it. And it is probably a, a bigger game changer than we're realizing it is right now. Yeah, certainly when you watch the behind the scenes of the uh, Mandalorian series, you get these directors who are like absolutely blown away by this technology, excited by this technology. They feel like they can do things that maybe they were limited in doing in times before because of financial considerations, timing, location stuff, uh, everything like that, that they were limited. Plus, you're getting actors who are uncomfortable acting against sticks on, ten on tennis balls on sticks things like that so you've got the uh, you've got actors that are now kind of excited to work in this world because let me tell you something as an actor there's nothing there's nothing that gets you more in the world of something than uh the right prop the right uh, uh atmosphere around you the right clothes all of it really does bring you into the mindset of the character and so you know uh natalie portman's talked about numerous times how working on the prequels kind of sent her into a depression when she saw her performance because she had a hard time like making that transition and acting opposite those sticks on tennis balls so having this kind of technology surrounding you all the time just kind of puts you in the mood of 
the piece and kind of will and will lead to some better performances, some fantastic performances. And already we've seen some great, great visuals from the Mandalorian and, and almost every one of those episodes. And you see the kind of care that they take with the technique that they're using. So to me, this just means like, hey, if this works this well now, you know how tech heads are always like, well, how can we improve it? How can we make it better? So by the time they start shooting Kenobi, it might be in an even better position and might be even more advanced for them to showcase even better visuals and uh, you know uh, skylines and cinematography uh, angles uh, and performances. All of it uh, in the Kenobi series. So you'd be they would have been a fool not to use this technology. So I and it kind of walks that line real quick between. Uh, what was uh, started here with J.J. Abrams' Star Wars, that idea of going back to practical effects. It is it is advanced uh, effects and CGI and all that, but it feels like it's connected to a practical foundation. So for that, when you look at it, you don't feel taken out of the piece. You feel like more in, engrossed in the piece, and I, I think that's fantastic. I think, I think that's a really good point. It's something that actually comes up again and again. Like We all look mm-hmm. at Jurassic Park back in the day yeah. as one of the giant steps forward in CG technology, which it a thousand percent is. Mm-hmm. But I forget what the exact number is, but it's under 10 minutes. There's actually under 10 minutes right. of actual CG footage. And a ton, like the T-Rex, the Raptors, everything, they're all practical effects as yeah. well. Like They built those things. And the blending of the two is actually what makes Jurassic Park still come to life today. And yeah. similarly with what they talk about in Mandalorian, it's the blending of the volume with practical effects, mm-hmm. with uh, prosthetics, with all these things that makes it real. And the other thing I wanted to say, uh, I do think it's really cool that like, you know, like they're utilizing that Unreal video game engine mm-hmm. to kind of make uh, make these visual effects work. Well, at the same time, anybody who watched like the demo for the PS5, for example, oh. and seeing the leaps and bounds, when you see the leaps and bounds that the gaming industry is taking to make their games more cinematic, yeah. and then to see the cinematic storytellers taking those same gaming engines and utilizing them to make special effects uh, more actor-friendly, easier, yeah. more accessible. It's a really cool sim- uh, symbiotic relationship that I think is all very entrenched in the geek world. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. And kind of seeing where ga- the intersection of gaming and storytelling and uh, cinematic storytelling, I think that's a really cool area that we're going to see a lot more of as, uh, as both technologies continue to grow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and thinking about no matter what you thought of the prequels, I think everyone universally really liked Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And to know that he he did have a t- hard time. It was challenging to be in that environment. To give him all the tools that he needs, I think we're finally going to get the great Obi-Wan Kenobi story that some of us still maybe we haven't gotten yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and we should all be excited about that. Uh, and it probably allows uh, Deborah Chow to dream a little bit bigger for what she wants to put into these episodes uh, which should excite and everybody. She, yeah, and she's already had all the experience on Mandalorian yeah. utilizing this technology. So yeah. jumping into Kenobi, it's like she can even take it further. So that's going to yeah. be really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, looking. I'm. Let's get back to production. Let's. You know, I know. Well, let's make it safe to do so. But like, let's get excited. Do it safely. Yeah, safely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get the point you're trying to make. All right, let's move on to our second uh, story. Um, and that is about the Oscars. The Oscars uh, were pushed uh, back. This uh, vote happened on a Monday, early Monday morning here in Los Angeles, California. Uh, all the members of the Board of Governors got together and uh, voted on this, and they've pushed the ninety-three Academy, the ninety-third Academy Awards, from February twenty-eighth, which usually is, uh, which was actually kind of most recently the new date. If people remember, 
It used to be in March, I think, and they've moved they moved it to uh, later on in February uh, to kind of like capture the time when uh, when these movies had screened and it was done, and people were excited to see the awards shows. Uh, and they've moved it to April twenty fifth now. So in this next this is next year, April twenty fifth, the Oscars will apparently be happening. It's on a Monday. Uh, and the eligibility for the films uh, that could be nominated for Oscars was pushed from the traditional January 1st, 2020 uh, end date to, uh, I'm sorry, from December 31st, 2020 end date to February 28th, 2021. So now if you're submitting a film or if you're going to screen a film or show a film and or because now now they're making them available digitally for Academy Award member of sorry uh, voters, you can you have until February twenty eighth, twenty twenty one, to be considered for uh, a nomination for the Oscars. Also, and this is not the first time they've done this. They did this. Uh, they delayed it for the Martin Luther King assassination in nineteen sixty eight, for the uh, attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan in nineteen eighty one, uh, and the L A flooding in nineteen thirty eight. Uh, so it's been a while. So it's been a while since they've done this. Uh, and uh, so there we go. And this is another thing they also did was they have guaranteed. T- they have guaranteed ten best picture uh nominations um that's exciting as well and also they've uh, announced an initiative i think it's called a 2020 where they're going to try and uh, have more minority voices involved in productions uh uh, over there at the ampass uh and as well on films and television sets so certainly the black lives matter extending past the idea of police brutality i think a lot of organizations and companies uh are being uh, for lack of a better term woken up to this situation and are reacting in positive manners and it doesn't feel like window dressing this feels like actual organic systemic change that they want to make they know it'll take some time but it seems like uh, the academy has been moving towards a more diverse uh, uh, body and a, a, a body that represents more uh, that represents more women in it as well. So you're getting a more uh, a more uh, I don't know a more complete point of view from uh, people in the world represented here through Ampass and, and through the uh, Academy Awards. And we all know this is in the at the end of the day, it's all about trying to make the Oscars somewhat relevant again, trying to get the ratings back up again, trying to get people excited about the Oscars again. So hopefully all these moves will lead to that. Uh, but uh, you can't, uh, I, I, in my opinion, you can't fault their efforts to try to make these changes. But let me ask you guys this. You hear all this. Is this just an obstinate desire to have the Oscars? Like, are they just so unwilling? We just had Star Wars Celebration canceled. Are they so unwilling to cancel the Oscars um, uh, because they fear that people would just 100% lose interest in it if they miss one year? I don't think that I don't think that they're necessarily worried about, you know, if you miss one year, the Oscars are over. I mean, the Oscars are the Oscars people are going to watch. I think that this is not the year to get people more excited. I don't think anybody really – I mean, like – we yeah. are the biggest nerds in the world and we always love watching the Oscars together and we always love True. like baiting the best pictures. I, I don't care this year. Mm-hmm. There's too much other things going on. Like this is, this is a, look, I think it's great. I think pushing it back is smart. Uh, yep. I'll be curious to see what gets nominated. I feel like I saw like two movies in 2020 and that's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the nominees are Scoob and Trolls and uh, the, that's the all we and the Invisible Woman. <laughs> or the Invisible Man. Um, but yeah, like I think that uh, you know, it's just like yep. this is not the year where I think things like awards are going to be top of mind for anybody, even for the yeah. people that it usually is a big part of. Now, that being said, I think everything else about trying to bring more diversity to the super white Oscars and uh and change the perceptions of the industry and actually 
more than changing perceptions, actually making significant change, which is the real thing. Uh, I think that's all great. And I think if we used the Oscars this year, I guess I care less about them doing something super cool to get ratings. I care less about the actual winners this year because it's a crazy year. I care about let's use this year to actually make some significant change in the Oscars being something that represents movies and stories that are told by and for everybody and not just what it's been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and they're coming off a year where (laughs) green book, green book, one one best picture so i i mean i do think delaying it obviously it's smart and again we don't know what april is going to look like you're you're you know depending on what news outlets you read you're hearing like cases are starting to spike as 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 parts of the country maybe tried to open up too early or tried to open back up too early um but yeah i do think in even if there's no big ceremony we'll get some sort of oscars presentation delaying it a couple of months i think that's smart because you know there was about a you know four to eight week period where everyone kind of hit pause and it's like Mm -hmm. we we don't know what's happening right now and then we found out that they're gonna include movies from streamers right uh greyhound the tom hanks movie that's going to apple plus the five bloods which is on netflix right now there's easily some academy award-winning performances in that film so now Mm -hmm. that i think they know what the landscape is like all right this is what we're shooting for do we want to put it out in the theater? Do we just want to put it out on streaming? I think that delaying it was the right move. And truthfully, a lot of people that vote for the Oscars watch them at home anyways. They yeah. get screeners. It's true. It's true. I'm going to tell you what. If they want to get some good advice, I'm going to give them two good pieces of advice. Okay. They come to me. Advice number one. I love a movie montage. <laughs> you give me a movie montage, I don't care. Is it the comedies of is it is it Hollywood's comedies? Is it the best stories about uh, about the black experience? Is it the best stories about the queer experience? Is it an animated montage? I don't John Hughes. Mo- I don't care. Give me a montage. Mm-hmm. You don't bring an audience together. We're in a second spike. Montage, montage, montage. Second piece of advice. Yeah. You want to know how to take a live show and do it in a not live format? Go watch the season finale of RuPaul's Drag Race this year, which is usually a live show with performances on stage, and they did it all virtually, and it might have been better than the live performance shows. So go watch RuPaul's Drag Race, lots of montages. That's my advice. You're welcome. Okay. Wow. Strong statement. Um, I don't know. I kind of like it when they have to dance for their uh, to stay on the show. I kind of like it when they're dancing on top of each other to try to stay on the show. I like that part of the RuPaul Drag Race. No lie. Um, yeah, but they did great dancing. They, see, they lip synced at home. That was the thing. Uh-huh. Like, how is that going to work? And it right. was fabulous. They had different yeah, but, categories of lip sync. It was good. Yeah, but they can't cross in front of each other to try to get the judges' attention, which I always like. like that yeah. is true. They can't do that. But like they the had a. Uh, they did a they did a close up lip sync. So basically, yes. they were all like we oh. are right now, and you could okay. only use your face. Then they had like, you got to do a pre-planned lip sync. Like you got to like build a set in your apartment and you got to use your apartment however you wanted. And they did like their own thing. And then the final lip sync was all of them lined up like side by side in their apartment, lip syncing to the same song. Anyways. Nice. Oscars. I want to see this year's celebs. Okay. All nominees lip syncing for their life. That's basically the point of my story. I want a lot of (laughs) Elizabeth Moss turn to the left. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it. 
Um, and just to clarify the 10 best picture nominees thing situation, because I got it out of my mouth finally. That will not happen next year. It will happen the year after. It will be instituted the year after in the 94th Oscars ceremony there in 2022. So that's a good thing, the guaranteed situation. Uh, and I'm I'm excited about that more than anything else. I mean, pushing it. And I agree with you, Mikey. I, I don't care. And, I, you know, like you said, the three of us, you couldn't find three more avid Oscars watchers who like to debate this stuff. But, like, right now, I just don't care. Let's get through the year, for God's sakes, and let's see what happens in 2021 and go from there. But I, and I understand the Ampass is a big organization. A lot of people work for them. You know, we're seeing budget cuts all over Hollywood. Uh, you guys uh, probably don't know this, but this morning I got an email from William Morris uh, voiceover department. They are no longer existing. So I am now agentless Whoa. as a voiceover artist. Uh, they shut down the entire voiceover department of William Morris Entertainment. So, wow. yeah, yeah. Uh, we all got the email and immediately ran to the Facebook message board. And everyone was just, uh, you know, talking about the memories and talking about how many years they'd been in that uh, with William Morris. And my agent, Eric Seastrand, has now gone over to ACM Talent. So we don't know who he's taking with him and who he's not. But I'm this is the changes. Very sorry to hear that, John. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's life. I mean, I wasn't doing a lot of voiceover anyway because of this uh, working on the fear, uh, fear that I'm in now. But still, it was nice to have William Morris on the resume. But it's a shame that this has happened. But that's just this is just symptomatic of so many other businesses, so many other things in this industry that are that are being cut left and right. And it's because who knew how many businesses were living paycheck to paycheck essentially and could not survive a surprise shutdown. And so this is a unfortunate uh, situation, but hopefully a lot of businesses that do survive this are now like uh, understanding that they have to be prepared for this possibility at all times going forward. And that means like saving money or putting money aside or making sure your employees have enough to be taken care of. Should you shut down for six months or a year, stuff like that really needs to be an essential part of a business, you know, and overpaying your executives with bonuses maybe shouldn't be the most important part of staying alive as a business. But, you know, that's those that's neither here nor there uh, as it is. But yeah, so all these changes, I like all these changes. Plus, they're going to put term limits on the governors that get elected to vote uh, on these changes and measures that are happening in the academy. That's a positive as well. Used to be you could be on you could be a, a, a on the member of, or be a, a member a governor on the board there for quite some time. Now they're limiting it limiting it. They want to focus on bringing more women and more people of color, uh, and so it's a more diverse situation. So overall, I think these are fantastic ideas. Uh, let me see if I've got this right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you will be allowed the governor returning governors in their third term will be allowed to complete a nine year service before an obligatory two year hiatus after which your eligibility renews for one additional and final three-year term for a maximum of 12 years. So you can only serve 12 years on the board of governors. So that can affect like when you want to be a member of the board of governors uh, as well. So that could be interesting uh, down the road as they look at all of this. And uh, the branch executive committee will also have a term limit of six years and a two-year hiatus with a maximum of 12 years as well. So uh, they're, and they're going to, everyone's going to be implementing unconscious bias training. It's a, you got to love that term, unconscious bias training, which means, hey, I didn't know I had white privilege or, hey, I didn't know I was being a racist or, hey, I didn't know I was being, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, stopping people from being hired over people of color. So that's what they call that, unconscious bias training, I guess. It's a nice legal term to cover things up. I mean, Mikey? Uh, I mean, unconscious bias is real. I don't I, getting you know? people to embrace it and understand it in a training course. I, I, I will. We'll see how that goes. It's good that they're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, I agree. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think it's, I think that's good. When I picture the board of governors, I picture a bunch of old white men in a smoking yeah. room, like with monocles and tuxedos on. So <laughs> I feel like 
I feel like uh, I feel like any of these changes that are going to get us out of the you have 20 Churchills in the room as well. Basically, basically what I'm picturing. Lots of, and lots of cigars. Yes, cigars. of course. Yeah. yeah. Mike, are you, are you picturing Jekyll and Hyde right now? Because they have that song, a board of governors. To the no, 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 no. In Jekyll and Hyde, that board of governors is super creepy and scary. That makes me think of like Michael Jackson's thriller. Completely different visual. <laughs> I think the best picture should be Green Book. <laughs> there it is. That, that is that is what I picture. So yeah. the more that we can do to get away from that, yeah, the better. <laughs> Into the spider bus. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, well, speaking of musicals, uh, Michael, you uh, were uh, at a uh, – no, no, that doesn't make sense. I was trying to say something, and it, I just fumbled with it. But, uh, Michael, I was being unconsciously biased. Michael, uh, you were on a panel uh, to, for one of these virtual panels for Comic-Con that's coming up here uh, addressing the LGBTQ representation and animation and other uh, media. Uh, talk to us about this uh, as your Geek News item. What was this all about? Yeah, it was super cool. Uh, actually, as as most of you probably know, June is Pride Month, um, mm-hmm. so we are we are we are currently celebrating Gay Pride. Uh, and this week, we got a lot to celebrate with the Supreme Court's ruling uh, on um, on the fact that the uh, Civil Rights Bill of the 1960s actually does include uh, the LGBTQ yeah. community. So now yes. uh, we went from a handful of states where we could where we were safe from being terminated for. Uh, our sexuality to 50 states. So that was a big news. Uh, Here in LA, uh, Gay Pride this weekend uh, was shifted focus and uh, there was a giant march uh, in conjunction with Black Lives or for the Black Lives Matter movement right? um, with a focus on trans rights as well. And it was really great uh, about multiple, like it was huge. I've never Mm -hmm. seen that many people marching. It was a huge, huge weekend. And Johnny, yeah, to what you were saying, uh, I was asked um, Prism Comics, uh, in in because Comic Con is not happening this year, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of virtual panels, and some of those virtual panels are being recorded ahead of time so that they can be edited and packaged and delivered to the Comic Con team. Yeah. Um. So uh, our friend and geek buddy Court Lane, uh, yeah. animation executive, who's uh who's who's most recent most recently was at Marvel Animation. Um. He was moderating the panel for Prism Comics, and it was really cool. It was all about. Uh, LGBTQ representation in yeah. young adult uh, content, whether it be publishing, comics, animation. So uh, yeah. I was on there with uh, Gina Gagliano, who's the publishing director of Random House, uh, Trung Lee Nguyen, who has a new comic book coming out uh, this fall called Magic Fish, Alex mm-hmm. Sanchez, who uh, just is, has this comic book, You Brought Me the Ocean, uh, for DC Comics, which is about Aqualad, Shannon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aqualad, a little steamy, uh, steamy underwater romance with Aqualad and his uh, and his gentleman friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur, Arthur, Arthur Calder. Uh, I'm actually not sure. Uh, no, it's uh, no, it's Calder. It's Calder. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marco Tamaki, uh, who wrote, uh, who uh, Eisner nominated uh, for Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, um, Brittany Williams, who wrote Goldie Vance, and Noelle Stevenson, who uh, most people know from running She-Ra, uh, mm-hmm. Princesses of Power for Netflix. So it was a really, really cool panel. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, just a lot of talk about... Um, furthering representation of queer people in younger age content. Um, So everything um, from, like I said, like from comics and everything else. And I got to talk about uh, some of the work I did on My Little Pony, 
uh, and introducing the first uh, gay ants into the world of My Little Pony, uh, <laughs> as well as uh, Princess Alexander, which we talked about uh, a little bit um, a little while ago, which is the show that I'm currently developing with Wild Brain um, about uh, a young prince who ends up having the powers of a princess and how he and his family cope with that, which is very sort of not so loosely based on me figuring out I was gay at a very young age and worrying about how my family was going to deal with that. Right. Um, so it's, it was really, really fun. Um, and it was kind of cool to be a part of Comic-Con, even though I don't get to go to San Diego this year. Right. So yeah, it was it was neat and uh, fun to sort of celebrate queerdom in geek content together. It's my two favorite things to talk about. Did it feel weird because you don't have fans coming up to ask questions? You're you're just essentially having a, a was it a, a Zoom meeting? Was yeah. that basically what it was? So you're essentially having a Zoom meeting for other people to consume, but uh, but people couldn't watch it live, right? Right. And I don't know if okay. Comic-Con is doing a mixture of those things or not, but I mean, right. I think a lot of the panels and I, it, yeah, it does feel different. And it was kind of, I wouldn't say disappointing because I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I will right. say um, having done my fair share of Comic-Con panels in the yeah. past for Spider-Man and Transformers and My Little Pony, um, the question and answer part is actually my favorite part. Like that's actually where uh, you don't quite know what's going to get asked. It's where the funniest moments happen. Right. Um, and that's always the best part to me. And so it does kind of suck that that doesn't happen. It's one of the many things that we won't get this year by not being able to yeah. go down to San Diego and be nerds for five days. Um, <laughs> but I still think it was, it was great that uh, not only that that panel exists, but I actually remember the very first Comic-Con I went to, which... I don't even know how long ago that was. I don't even want to yeah. guess, but I've been going to a, for a long time. But the very first time I went to Comic-Con, I think I just went in for one day. We were we, yeah. we did a day trip down to San Diego. And the only panel that I went into was actually an LGBTQ uh, gay gays in comics panel right. where there was a handful of gay people uh, and queer people up there talking about gays and comics. And at the time, that was very limited. And so it was kind of nice to be able to be a part of a panel for this year's Comic-Con um, where not only did I get to be a part of that queer community that's talking about representation, but also through me talking about My Little Pony or talking about Aqualad or uh, She-Ra or uh, Mariko's Harley Quinn comic, but like all the facts that like queer creators, queer artists, queer writers are represented in much higher profile projects. And those higher profile projects have queer characters in them. Um, and that like made me feel really good. Like, even though this has been a weird pride and it's gonna be a weird Comic-Con, like that was a good feeling. Yeah. So they did have like a Q and A set up for you guys though, right? No, I mean, there was no, no one to queue. There was no one to yeah. queue for us That's to A. Oh, so it was, was okay. asking, yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Like it gotcha. was just a very much straightforward, like we're gonna record this as like a, yeah. Like the like the Mandalorian thing. I mean, not that we were in person sitting yeah. around a table, but it's like we're going to talk about a thing, right? Uh, and people can consume it. But it's not like they had people lined up to sort of pop into the Zoom and ask right. questions. Which I mean, I, like you could do. I mean, that's a possible thing. Yes. So yes. maybe that will happen in some capacity for actual Comic Con, um, but just not for this panel. I I, I right. certainly would hope so because for for our audience <laughs> that doesn't know this, Michael uh, moderated the My Little Panel Pony for for a few Comic Cons, and he is very entertaining off the cuff. My when Little you, Pony panel, yeah. Yes, when yeah. when you when you would uh, have questions. I yeah, listen. Uh, those those were the best. My Little Pony questions mm -hmm. were the best because you would go from like a little girl, like an adorable little girl or an adorable little boy, being like, 
my favorite pony is Rainbow Dash. Who's your favorite pony? And then you would have like a full on brony show up, like 40 year old dude. And he was like, um, so Princess Celestia and Princess Luna rule uh, all of Equestria, but there is a mayor in Ponyville. So is this a monarchy or is there a system of government? Um, is there, what are the branches of government and how does it work? And you'd be like, oh, we're going to get deep. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So it was always very exciting. Yeah, agree. That, that was not just my brony voice. That is my all geeks voice. That was not a knock at specific bronies. That is the voice that I use for any geek done? when I am. What have you done? What have you done? <laughs> yeah, I know. It, works for, it works for any. It works for any. Yeah. Oh, when I was reading Lord of the Rings, uh, Gollum was portrayed as a. I guess, yeah. like in my mind, Kermit the Frog is just a fan of like everything. So I just go to my Kermit the Frog voice. I can't verify that he actually uses the same deep voice uh, as well for any male character he speaks about. I, uh, I use the same male voice when I do, do when I tell stories for you and yeah, my your dad. dad. Your dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's it. Well, well Shannon, sometimes you do Shannon. Oh, Shannon is more like, hey, I got to tell you this, guys. I am a real big fan of Aquaman, and I really like my Flash T-shirt today. <laughs> I've got notes. I think I got notes. I don't know about you, Shane. Yeah. Next. <laughs> next. What next. else have you got? What else have you got? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it's great that you were doing this, and I also think it's great that you like you've seen the progression of the LGBTQ representation in in comics and animation and media, and you you know you're still getting the pushback. You're still getting people sending you emails, sending you letters. But I love the fact that creatives and the executives who are approving this stuff and the studios who are approving this stuff are are comparatively more open than they have been before for this kind of stuff. Uh, and they're willing to wade into the pool a little bit more uh, and have these characters pop up and show up in their media and represent them correctly, not just as stereotypes or throw them in as token characters. They actually want these right. things to be fleshed out. And we're seeing that happen in black lives matter as well. A lot of entertainment people are stepping forward who are, you know, black or people of color to say, Hey, I'm tired of being the best friend. I'm tired of being this character you throw in to facilitate the white lead. Like it's a, there's a lot of revolution happening about this kind of stuff. And certainly the timing of black lives matter to coincide almost, uh, uh, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but certainly the timing of it works really well to coincide with pride as well to uh, groups who feel disenfranchised by the overall society getting a chance to come together and uh, and support each other uh, in the in the marches and in their uh, uh, grievances. So I think it's great. Well, I mean, one of the things that's unique about the LGBTQ community is that's where intersectionality happens. So mm -hmm. whether it's women's rights or uh, Black Lives Matter or immigrants' yeah. rights or any 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 group like the LGBTQ. Uh, community intersects with all of that. And that's why yeah. the Black Lives Matter March this past weekend in Los Angeles uh, had um, at least a slight focus towards the black trans community because black yeah. trans women are more likely to die uh, than almost any other demographic. And in fact, two black trans women just died in New York. I think a black trans woman died in Tallahassee uh, oh. in the past week. Uh, so it's a, it's a huge problem. And so yeah. as we elevate uh systemic racism in our country and as we elevate all these other issues um seeing where that intersects with the lgbtq community uh is a big and I, and the other thing you said johnny that i think is really true and we talked about it on the panel and i know that we all three talked about this a few weeks ago is that idea that uh getting whether it be black characters characters of color uh yeah. queer characters 
not just to be the best friend all the time, but to actually be the lead in the show and to actually be yeah. core characters. And yeah. one of the things that I focused on in this panel, which uh, I'm sure we'll post when it comes out, is actually not being afraid to have queer characters in very young shows. I think that there's yeah. always this idea that you shouldn't have a queer character until it's like old enough to be like, oh, well, it's a bit more mature. And this idea that being queer is somehow like, uh, adult or you're talking about sexy things and I was like right. no like, that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to create Princess Alexander was to tell a story that uh, isn't even about romance yet because long before I kissed a guy or asked a guy out on a date or had a crush on a guy I definitely knew there was something different about me and right. wanted to really explore that and so I think it's going to be really cool I hope you guys all listen to the panel when it comes out and uh, yay happy pride and lucky me to have such amazing allies as this guy and this guy yeah <laughs> Thank you. It's very kind. Uh, yeah, and the 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 uh, I agree with you on the on the these things start. The, you know, these characters have to start showing up in younger and younger entertainment because younger and younger entertainment are, are like people in real life. At, at young ages are being are being are seeing this with their family members, with their uh, in their worlds, and you know they've been exposed to so much other stuff way earlier than they supposedly should be exposed to. But if you have proper parenting or you have proper guidance, you can neg negotiate any kind of situation yeah. that pops up well, to explain it correctly. You know? And along those lines, I don't know if you guys saw this this week, but uh, Kari Payton, who, uh, yeah. you know, who, great. I, who, who's awesome and a great guy. And I think a lot yeah. of us have worked with, uh, and most people probably know him from walking dead. Yeah. Uh, he just announced on social media this week um, that he, uh, he has a trans, uh, child as well his his his, mm. his he now his trans son carter yeah uh, and he announced it on social media and it was honestly just like a beautiful beautiful right. post uh so definitely go check that out it was amazing but to your point uh you know this is something that kids at a young age do struggle with and deal with and parents yeah. are starting to step up and show uh how they're deal how they are supporting it and yeah. uh raising their kids to be in this world. And so, yeah, it's something that I think is really important in our entertainment. So there you Absolutely. go. That's the soapbox. Ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. <laughs> All right. Perfect timing to uh, take a quick break here uh, uh, for our uh, podcast listeners uh, as we, before we get into our main topic. So let's take a break uh, right now. It's like I was literally waiting the whole time. I was like, where am I gonna gonna cha cha cha? I'm gonna cha 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 at the end. I'm just gonna cha cha cha. I be cha cha cha. Any Moulin Rouge fans out there? That was Moulin Rouge. If you didn't know what we were doing, that's the only the only only ten minutes of the film that I like is that opening. Anyway, so our main yeah, so you know that's true. Our our main topic today is this on the heels of what Michael just presented. This virtual panel for a Comic Con. Uh, for Comic-Con, rather, it's happening this year. Uh, DC Fandom was announced yesterday. Some people are calling it DC Fan Do Me. A global experience is how it's being paid. Yes, I'm not joking. This has been the trend online, which I thought was really funny. Uh, but yes, this is a very interesting thing that's happening that Warner Brothers is doing. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a, a number of articles that are speculating uh, what is going on. Are you, are you giving me a face? I can't see her now because I'm looking at an article. That's my okay. But like, there's a number of things that they're, that are being speculated that are going uh, to be 
seen here. It's going to be the content's going to be available in 10 language in, in languages, English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, Brazil, Portuguese, Korean, Japanese, and Chinese. Uh, and there will be programming from specific countries that will be in their native language. The epicenter of the DC fandom is called the Hall of Heroes, where attendees can experience special programming panels and content reveals from a wide variety of films, TV series, and games. Uh, and then you can go into the DC multiverse, which explores five additional satellite worlds each with its own localized content and unique tech activities, and then even one world that is fully devoted to younger fans. DC Watchverse is one of these things, everything from panels and exclusive screenings to never-before-seen footage featuring cast, creators, and behind-the-scenes crew from DC Films, TV, Home Entertainment, and Games. DC Uverse, which attendees can venture into this world with fans, are the stars to see the most amazing user-generated content, cosplay, and fan art from around the world. DC Kidsverse, which is a broad range of family-friendly activations for younger fans. DC Insiderverse, which is a creativity-based world that contains a centerpiece video featuring legendary artist and DC CCCO slash publisher Jim Lee, who's the president and the president of DC-based film production Walter Hamada and the creator of DC TV Arrowverse, Greg Berlanti, who our own friend uh, uh, Jonathan Bay works with and for. And DC Funverse, where you take your Funverse, where you take your DC fan dome experience and gather cool shareables check out our comic book reader diy cool w wonder woman 1984 golden armor and batmobile kits plus digital giveaways and a store filled with merchandise including some limited edition exclusive all of that is available but already they're talking about maybe some footage from the snyder cut uh some footage from or some some pictures from batman exclusive pictures from batman uh wonder woman 1984 uh and the matrix i mean matrix four as well they're looking at maybe the suicide suicide squad which is the sequel to suicide squad all of these things are possible uh i don't know uh things that could be shown or possible media that we might see from those films popping up here in this dc fandom experience this is a virtual attempt and i know comic-con's doing it obviously since michael was on a panel like that uh, what are your thoughts about this? Do you guys like this or do you feel like it's too intense and overwhelming or do you think it's kind of brilliant? I think this is a fantastic idea yeah. because it's, it's going to be in August, right? Like third, yes. third, third week Sorry, of August? August 22nd. Yes. So I, every year at Comic-Con, like especially in Hall H, which is the big, the big hall where a lot of the big studios go to, including mm -hmm. Marvel and Warner Brothers for DC, um, Marvel skips every once in a while because if they don't have something to show, they don't go. Right. And every year, it's like, okay, this is this is DC's year. This is DC's year, and they've had they've had they've upped their game definitely. Yeah. But knowing that conventions for the time being, in person conventions, just aren't in the cards right now. I think sort of spearheading this with a giant virtual convention for all things DC, which will include the movies. And I do believe the rock posted about it as well. So yes. the, the, the thinking is, okay, there's going to be some sort of black Adam announcement. I think this is such a, such a great idea yeah. that I really, really hope that they are able to pull off because it does seem from everything that you've just read, yeah. it seems pretty ambitious and fingers crossed they pull it off. Yeah. What do you think, Mikey? I mean, you've been an executive, you've been a producer, you've been executive producer, you've been a, a writer for animation, you've been involved in the in the creation of uh, projects. Uh, what do you think about something like this? Is it, that is essentially a virtual installation. It's interesting. I When I read it, what I was thinking a lot about was um, 
in addition to not getting to go to Comic-Con this year, I also don't get to go to Burning Man this year because that's oh, obviously right. not happening. 70,000 people from around the world partying in the desert with uh, with very little uh, in the way of um, hospital beds. Hygiene. Really not the time. Really not the time. But Burning Man is trying to pull off a virtual Burning Man this year where you like, can go into like a... <laughs> Where you go into like a virtual playa, a virtual Burning Man environment that like if you go in at 2 o'clock p.m., it's daytime. If you go in there at 2 a.m., it's nighttime and you can like roam around and it's it's ambitious. It's ambitious. And I think this kind of struck me as the same thing. I love ambition. I think it's super cool. I think I hope that. I hope that the ambition pays off and they actually pull off something that's really, really neat. I think the other thing. you know, a few years ago when Disney started doing D23, mm-hmm. uh, like nobody knew how that was going to go. And they really seemed to have found their legs with it and really yeah. made it work. And then people thought, did that mean that like Star Wars and Marvel and everything were going to leave Comic-Con? And I think Disney's also managed to find this really cool balance of still maintaining a presence at Comic-Con in San Diego, but holding some stuff back that really gets you excited about D23. Right. Um but I do think that part of the fun of these events, even when you get to go in person, is when you're sitting at home, there's like that day that there's those few days that Comic-Con is happening, those two days that Disney, that D23 is happening, and the internet just gets flooded with trailers and reveals and footage from the panels and, oh my God, did you just find this out? And, oh my God, they're doing She-Hulk and Miss Marvel. And so I think that right now, uh, this DC fan do me uh, thing that's happening uh, and, you know, virtual Comic-Con, virtual Burning Man are all happening as a substitution. Yeah. But I really hope that some st- some cool stuff comes out of it. And I really hope that as we move back into a world where we can go to these events and they do go back to having like these live things and we do go back to San Diego for Comic-Con and we do these yeah. things, that some of these elements get to be incorporated into that so that the yeah. virtual experience of these events and the live experience of these events can sort of coexist together. Yeah. I've that's always felt. About. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that, 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 that's what I was thinking oh. about when I was reading about everything. That's a great point, Mike, because I've always felt it was uh, ridiculous for the organizers of Comic-Con to be like, oh, or in the studios. Oh, we can't have a live you know, uh, virtual thing of the panel. We can't have a lot. We can't have you watch the panel live, or we can't have you uh, enjoy the food. Like I always found that to be frustrating. And even occasionally, you know, Celebration has done it. Uh, certainly, when Star Wars was announcing uh, stuff, they did that where you could watch the panel, uh, but you couldn't see the footage. But for me, that was always insane because it's like, look, I get it that what you're paying for is to be actually in the room when the stuff is announced. And what you're paying for is that communal fan experience of being in the room surrounded by other people who are as into this stuff as you are. So to limit uh, the virtual um, audience from being able to see certain things or explore certain things, I think has always been a mistake. And so this and I think you're right. I hope they do this. I hope they see the success of this and go, well, then this is a way for people not to like miss out on experiencing this uh, panel or miss out on being in Hall H for this presentation. Um, I think all of it should be available for people to go and experience live uh, who can't maybe get down there. And you can make it premium. You can make it like the price of a, you know, half the price of a Comic Con ticket for the day. 
put that out there and let people come and experience this, you know, and DC's making this free for 24 hours, which is great. Uh, but like, I love the idea of it being transferred over, as you said, when we go back to doing it live uh, and in person that it, this follows with it. And so fans all over the world can experience a hall H panel uh, from the comfort of their living rooms or their bedrooms or wherever they're going to watch it from. Yeah. I uh, now on the DC fandom thing specifically, yeah. uh, I wonder. I, I think. I, I wonder if they have. You're, you guys are both going to disagree with me. I wonder if they have the amount of content to drive as much excitement as I think as they think that they have. It's a fair I, point. I, like, I, 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 I'm I would curious think, about that. I would think between the movies, the television, mm -hmm. the comics, and the yeah. games, and the stuff specifically directed at sort of like the preschool audience, I would think they would have more than enough. Okay, but that's yeah. just that's just me. Well, I mean, you've got like Scott Mandelson in Forbes, uh, which is an article I sent you guys uh, to kind of complement this story. He mentioned some things that we could see, uh, and I want to run them down real quick and see what you guys think that we could see a, a, an announcement for the release date for Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League, which is c currently timed at possibly four hours. We could get uh, uh, the, we could get to who's going to be the new Batwoman, uh, who's going to be cast as the new Batwoman. Uh, we could get that announcement. We could get an announcement about the sixth season of Lucifer, a new trailer for Wonder Woman 1984, uh, some confirmation about Henry Cavill being in future DC films, uh, posters, art, and screenshots from any of the DC films that are coming, some update on Flash, possibly, and uh, Harley Quinn as well. So all that is just like a little bit about, uh, on the surface. But then you probably have what, like all the other animated series, uh, the comic books, um, all that can roll through this as well. And of course, Warner Brothers films, since you know HBO Max is Warner Brothers and DC, all that stuff combined, and Studio Ghibli, maybe Criterion. Like, who knows the places they'll go with this? But I'm sure there's, there's. I, I hear you, Mike. Is there enough content? I think the the key to that is to make the experience so uh, immersive that you're yeah. not going to be there for 24 hours, right? The, what you're you're going to be there for like three or four to get what you really, really need and you roll out, you know? Yeah. It Look, I'm excited about it. And I really mm. think if they, I think the fact, this is like my hope and we'll see, but it yeah. feels like the fact that they're even going through with all of this um, makes it seem like they have a lot to be excited about. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I think if you just yeah. had a bit of news here and a bit of news there, even if it's just like, oh, here's the release date for this and here's who's going to play uh, the right. new character in Batwoman, like, that's cool. But what I'm hoping is, much like Disney does with D23, it's like the fact that you're going to all of this work to build sort of this these virtual halls and this whole yeah. situation uh, is that you've got some bigger things coming out. Like, you yeah. know, that you, you've 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 gained some confidence with some of the hits that you've had and yeah. you're ready to sort of like take that next step and be like here's what we're doing to really like bring dc to the forefront yeah uh, because as much as i make fun of Zack snyder and as much as i don't love all the dc movies that have come out thus far i would love nothing more than to be as excited about dc as i am about everything else yeah what about you shan yeah i i i would think they definitely have ha have some bullets in the chamber that that would be my okay. guess because just in terms of having footage in the can, they've got what three movies: Batman, Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman. They've got yeah. three more that they've announced with Black Adam, with Aquaman two, with Shazam two, and that's just on the feature side. You yeah. announce that someone is joining the cast of something that is news. You show yeah. a little bit of uh, concept art from from another project that is news, and that's right. just on the movie side. I mean, there's still plenty to talk about with everything that's on the CW and with uh, the comics. Right. 
Yeah, good point. Yeah, um, and I know. I mean, I, they they mentioned Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, season four they're going to be talking about, so that's cool and exciting. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's going to be. I think and like whatever's happening in the future with Harley Quinn, which is amazing and hilarious yeah. and awesome. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what what's going on. What a uh, what do we think is going to happen with the Flash? Do we think like that's just gone? Do we think like Ezra's done? Like what, what are I, our? I think the fact that they haven't said a, made a statement is they're just waiting for this thing to blow over. That's what I really believe. And with Justice League coming in, like, what are you going to do with Ezra Miller? And if you've got to do reshoots with Flash or anything like that, is even if he does, even if he's only doing voiceover, you're still putting Ezra Miller back into the project. So that's yeah. the thing that I wonder about. But he's but he's one of six pieces there. I don't think that's as I don't think having him come in to redub some things for yeah. for the Snyder cut would be as big a deal as them pushing forward with his movie. But it it is interesting mm-hmm. that Warner Brothers, no one's come out with an announcement and especially with everything that has happened since then you know people have short memories i mean listen i i don't know if it may if it means that just marvel is really impressive with how they cast or what or or just whatever but like between like no comment on the ezra miller situation yeah uh you know, and then like their sort of piss poor response with the J.K. Rowling stuff last week. It's mm-hmm. just like they're just on every one of their brands. They are just like dealing with like, yeah. Woo! Yeah. Well, I, and and a lot of people were, were uh, referencing the Joker during the uh, protests that were happening out in the street when protesters were, were rioting and looting and fighting with with uh, police officers and vice versa. So you were seeing that Joe the Joker movie referenced all over the place on social media as well. So, but I mean. This is uh, this is the deal. They've 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 essentially created a Frankenstein universe, you know, because they're still maintaining some pieces of the Zack Snyder uh, universe here with with Wonder Woman and Gal Gadot and uh, Jason Momoa's Aquaman and somewhat Ezra Miller's Flash. Uh, and who knows what they're going to do with Cyborg after this uh, uh, Justice League, uh, uh, Zack Snyder Justice League situation. So they're still maintaining, but then trying to like maneuver things and twist things to make it work. So we'll see. But yeah, that's going to lead to some mistakes and some implosions. And certainly we've seen that already. And yeah, the Ezra thing is, a, is a, I don't know, the Ezra thing is bothersome to me as well that they haven't said a word. Um, but on EW, uh, they're stating that the the uh, the uh, there will be the cast and creators of the following films will be doing panels: Aquaman, uh, the Batman, Batwoman, Black Adam, Black Lightning, DC Superhero Girls, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, DC Star Girl, which our friend Joe Knezovich is on as the Wizard, uh, Doom Patrol, The Flash, Harley Quinn, The Snyder Cut of Justice League, Lucifer, Pennyworth, Shazam. The Suicide Squad, Supergirl, Superman, and Lois, Teen Titans Go, Titans, Watchmen, Young Justice Outsiders, and Wonder Woman 1984. So apparently all those casts or members of that ca- of each of those casts are going to be doing a panel during this 24-hour thing. So already you say, is there enough content? It seems like there is to last you for 24 hours, but then like you would not be able to see other stuff during that 24 hour window. If you right. were really going to watch all of these panels, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that, I think that actually everybody from comic con and D 23 and all the other places that have like their actual live mm-hmm. uh, events are going to be watching this really closely to see how people respond. Because I do yeah. think you're right. Like I, I think that Hollywood puts more stock in the fact that everyone's going to see the exclusive footage yeah. Then they need to. I think that to your point, Johnny, the reason you go to Comic Con is to be just sort of immersed for four days yeah. and to see yeah. these 
for a lot of people uh, who don't live in LA, it's to see these celebrities in person. It's to see the people that you love seeing on the screen so much. Right. Um, and, you know, and there's all of the shopping and the cosplay right. and the parties and the hanging out in hotel bars. And like, there's a big, there, it's like, it's a thing right. that I think that people would still go to that even if they knew they could watch it at home. Are you getting sad now that we're missing it this year, Shannon? I am. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you do love it, don't um, you, son? Yeah, you do love it. But, uh, but I think that I think that even if, you know, um, you can watch these panels virtually from the comfort of your own home and see the footage and see the trailers and see yeah. the things, uh, I think I think they would still get tons of traffic. I think people would still yeah, be going. So I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Well, then and we should wrap up this uh, this main uh, topic with one question here. Do you think this is the wave of the future? Do you think more and more studios? Do you think Comic-Con? Do you think do you think this will allow Comic-Con to do even more stuff for people who maybe won't be allowed to get exclusive, get into rather exclusive panels like Hall H or be able to see the footage? Do you think this now kind of sparks some creativity amongst these conventions and not just Comic-Con, all these conventions, Emerald City Con, you know, WonderCon, all these cons that, that go on to find a way to add even more content to the experience for people who can't necessarily go and charge people for that content now? I, th- I think it, it could be a great addition, mm-hmm. but when we are all able to get back together again, it should not be a substitution. Okay, okay. I agree with that, but I would take it one step further and say, I think that by making this an addition and by having these panels available virtually in the future, which I think is a good idea, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it would challenge these places to figure out what is the actual experience that people are paying for when they go in person. I think it like, it kind of challenges them to up their game and say, well, if you go in person, you get this and i don't know what that is but like you get you get this experience to like make it even more enticing and it's not just you get to see a trailer that nobody can see or you get to see a little bit of footage because i think that's the type of stuff that you should be sending out wide but how do you make the in-person experience even more dynamic more exciting so that people want to do that but anyone can enjoy the rest of it from anywhere the reason it will happen that way is because there's more money on the table i mean to your point like like if they know that however many people they can fit into hall into into the San Diego Convention Center, which yeah. is a lot of people apparently, given our yeah. past experience. And those people are paying whatever they're paying for their Comic Con tickets, and you keep that price the same, but you charge people five bucks, ten bucks for a four day virtual pass, where you're going to get to see all the panels and stuff. The amount of money that they would make from that, like that's 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 significant, I think. So, I think so. I, it'll be interesting to see what this where this takes everything. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, oh, yeah, I was going to say with the big exhibition halls, especially um, unless they're showing you something like like footage, mm-hmm. um, generally they let you record. They they right. let you have at it. So if that were if they were to decide to implement something like that in the future, making that sort of exclusive content for the web, that's mm-hmm. something else that you know you would not be able to record. Right. Well, and, and I think the flip side of it is, you know, those ballroom 20s or those smaller ballrooms like room A or whatever, you get what, like 50 people in there? Well, if you make it virtual for them to all watch this stuff and the footage, you're exposing it to way more people than 50 that could potentially watch this thing and enjoy this thing and be turned on by the media that you're, you've created. If you're, yeah. if you're a creator of that or a studio who does that. So, yeah. You know, the, the, techno- the world is always marching forward, man. Pro- progress is always marching forward. 
uh, and uh, studios always want to try to get ahead of it. And, and by accident, this seems hopefully this sparks some new and inventive ways to uh, get fans to have access to this kind of media. We'll see. Um, all right. Well, that seems like a good place to end uh, this episode uh, of the Geek Buddies. want to thank you all so much for listening to us and let us know what you thought about our comments and about these uh, topics that we covered here today on the show in the comments section below. Uh, you know, the more comments you leave, the more likes you give this uh, video. And please give this video a like. Swing your mouse button over there. It takes you two seconds to hit that thumbs up button. Uh, the more likes we get, the more comments we get on this particular episode or this particular uh, playlist of shows, that being the Geek Buddies shows, uh, it, it kind of elevates us in the algorithm of youtube so it's important if you're listening to us or watching us and you're excited about what we're doing here please do that on youtube uh and if you're listening to the podcast come on over and subscribe to the outlaw nation channel as well but anyway uh, uh shannon what can uh, what can we tell them yeah if you'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy also uh, out here in LA, a casting director did a little uh, uh, self-tape challenge where she got 8,500 submissions, and I found out this morning that I'm one of the top 200. So if you go to my Instagram, hey. you can actually see the original piece that I wrote. Nice. <laughs> if you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel on both platforms, it's at MK2. And if you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at the Roca Says. Uh, and listen, listen, until we get back to doing these live stadium shows that the Geek Buddies are so well known for, <laughs> uh, where we've been selling out literally like 30, 40, 50,000 seat theaters for you guys to talk geeky with us, we're going to have to stay virtual for a while. Uh, and you can help us out, um, like Johnny said, by, by subscribing, by liking this, by leaving comments below. If you are listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or iTunes or anywhere where you can hear our podcast uh you can also just take that extra five seconds to rate us give us some stars leave a nice comment it always helps us the more that that happens the more we go up in the rankings and you guys have been doing a super good job of this like it's been amazing it's been really exciting um tweet us retweet us yeah. tell everybody to check us out say hey have you heard these guys the geek buddies they're super dumb and ridiculous but i have a good time with them like whatever you want to say um but by posting us on facebook by tweeting us by sending us out to your friends you're bringing in more listeners you're bringing in more viewers and it's been awesome and it's been a lot of fun every time we see those comments uh below in youtube and other places where it's like hey how did i not know about the geek buddies hey this is so yeah. great hey you cheered me up during my quarantine like that's all great we love to hear it so thank you so much and please keep doing it yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't uh, echo my uh, fellow colleagues' sentiments more. So thank you so much for all of you who, who love this show and keep loving the show every week. Keep supporting it. And like we said, share it with your friends and family because you sharing it means you approve this content and you like this content and they will be more conducive to watching or listening to it uh, because of your approval. All right, that's it. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey! hey! We forgot to tell you. Next week we're oh. going live. Oh, next oh. Week we're going oh, live. Surprise! The Geek Buddies totally forgot. You know, we're caught up with my headache. I apologize. But next week we are going live on the Geek Buddies. Uh, we will have a first live show. Probably about I don't know how long it's going to be, but it's going to be fun to have the fans chime in with their questions. So look for that soon. The announcement of the the uh, actual time that we're going to do that. Where we'll be live probably next Thursday. Uh, as you're listening to us now, it'll be next Thursday, and we'll do it live. We'll get questions from you. You can send in stuff, and uh, Mikey and uh, Shannon and I will answer all your questions uh, and uh, hopefully have some fun and maybe even bring you in live into the chat to ask your questions. So what do you know? How many, 
how many people do you think turned this off because we were halfway through our final A and didn't hear that? I don't know. You, for you people that are still here, fucking well done. Well <laughs> done. Thank you. Are you still here? <laughs> Go, home. Go home. The show's over. Go home. <laughs> but yes, actually, yeah. That's, yeah, super awesome. We're very excited about our first live show. I think it's going to be super cool. Uh, yeah, can't wait. Absolutely. Yeah, have a go. Uh, all right. Well, that's it then. <laughs> that's the Geek Buddies for this week. And we'll talk to you next week for a live episode, live episode of the Geek Buddies. Take care until then. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.